0: This is AM Rush. I'm your host, Alex Mitchell. Friday, April 24th, some headlines out of AM New York Metro. A probe is being launched into nursing homes where reports are coming out that they underreported cases of coronavirus. And more big cats test positive for COVID-19 at the Bronx Zoo. We're going to talk more on that. And we're speaking with a restaurant operator that's been feeding up to 15 hospitals in New York City. Something really amazing what they're doing. And it's the NFL Draft. It's the closest thing we've had to live sports. We're going to talk to AM New York Metro sports editor Joe Pintorno and get his thoughts on what the Giants and Jets are doing. So let's get started with that probe into nursing homes. Governor Andrew Cuomo announced on Thursday that the New York State Health Department and Attorney General Letitia James will begin investigating nursing home novel coronavirus compliance. Now, that announcement comes after reports of nursing home staff had underreported novel coronavirus cases and deaths. Now, by law, nursing homes must provide staff personal equipment like gowns, masks, gloves, and conduct regular temperature checks. Violators could face fines or lose their licenses if they're not doing that. Once a nursing home resident tests positive for coronavirus, staff members are required to isolate them into quarantine. Staff members must also notify all residents and family within 24 hours if a resident becomes infected or dies of the virus. Now, the governor's announcement comes shortly after Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that a surge of supplies and staff would be sent to nursing homes across the city. Earlier in April, it was confirmed that a Malayan tiger at the Bronx Zoo had tested positive for coronavirus, the first instance of a jungle cat contracting the disease. Now, today, a report in the Bronx Times showed that a total of eight big cats now have confirmed coronavirus at the zoo. Now, according to the Bronx Zoo, all eight of the cats are doing well, they're behaving normally, they're eating well, and their coughing is greatly reduced. None of the zoo's snow leopards, cheetahs, or any other animals are showing signs of illness. It was just some of the jungle cats. And we're going to have more information on that story as it comes out. And now coming on AM Rush is the Director of Operations for the Brooklyn Chop House, Stratus Meforgan, who has been doing an amazing project on feeding the first-line responders in New York City hospitals. What started with him just doing one has turned into an amazing collaboration with other vendors and partners, and they're feeding up to 15 hospitals in New York City, which is just something amazing. And it's not like he's giving them sandwiches to go. They're delivering gourmet meals to these hospitals nightly. And we're going to talk to Stratus now about everything that they've been doing. Stratus, what have you been seeing ever since the closure or partial closure of restaurants went into effect?
1: There's a lot of different perspectives here. One is is that you can look at it as um, self-pity. <laughs> say, hey, you know, why why us? Why me? Uh, we had a thriving business at Brooklyn Chop House, and then we didn't. You know, and you could sit back and just uh, and say, hey, we're just going to be a delivery takeout business. Hopefully we we'll are able to pay our bills. Or let's do something that, you know what, because I think this is going to be a time where people will reflect 20 years from now and 30 years from now and say, hey, what did you do? to help, and what we've done at Brooklyn Chop House with my partners, um, Robert uh, Cummings and Dave Thomas, we sat down and said, what are we gonna do here? We've lost everything, and I said, you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna give back, and what we started doing is we started just one-on-one, because New York Presbyterian has always supported our restaurant, we just started sending delivery uh, packages for like 10, 15 meals uh, every, every night. They didn't ask for it, and we just brought it there and left it with the security desk, and then it just started growing from there. They started Instagramming it, and um, it became a really big thing. And then it got in the ma- mainstream media. And now we're up to fifteen hospitals serving over two thousand meals a week. And that's you know what that makes it gives some kind of purpose to this crisis. And that's that kind of feels good if you can use those words during such an epidemic. Uh,
0: from the healthcare workers that are getting these meals, have they given feedback to what their favorite menu item is that you guys are sending over?
1: Well, they love the idea because a lot of, you know, most people, not just health workers, they've never seen Chinese mixed in with steak. So what it is, is that, you know, where we are is dim sum and chops, uh, where dumplings and chops have been called uh, chopsticks, chop steak, you know, it, what's fun about it is that, you know, we've combined the two cultures together, which makes it for a fun meal. You know, there's not many places where you could put in dry aged porterhouse steak by Pat Frida and then all of a sudden team it up with salt and pepper lobster and a Peking duck. So that kind of made it fun. And these people have never seen anything like it. And just by their Instagram posts, which I have hundreds, uh, you know, what? makes it all worthwhile. They just they just love the whole idea that they're eating steak and they're eating Chinese. They're having some fried rice. And we actually go a little further. We've got some great partners that allowed us to get to 15, 12. We average 12 to 15 hospitals a week. Uh, you know, uh, J. King's donated thousands of pounds of chicken. King Solomon donated thousands of pounds of steaks and meats. Um, Junior's Cheesecake uh, gave us like 500 cheesecakes. Uh, Voss Water sent about a thousand cases of water. You know, on and on and on. We are even sending them bottles of wine by Forever Young. And so they're getting wine, coffee, water, cheesecakes, a beautiful spread of chicken, meats, all different types of proteins, vegetables, fried rice. And you know what? It makes us feel good because their reaction when they start posting things online. It's the best thank you you can get.
0: And it seems like not just is the food industry reaching out to to help everyone on the front line from healthcare workers and so on, but it's bringing you guys together in a way, too, it seems like.
1: A hundred percent. So when we first started this, we started doing our delivery takeout business, which was like, you know, 20, 30 orders a day. But you could see that the the energy in the room was completely down. The morale was zero. And you know what? When we started doing this, and then started taking pictures with the healthcare workers, and the healthcare workers were posting things, you know what? I could see an uplift in everybody's spirit, and and, and that was pretty cool. You know, that's a, that, 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 that's 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 a really incredible thank you um, when they do things like that.
0: Moving forward, when fortunately, and it seems like the stats are justifying this, there will come a day soon enough when we can go back to normal when restaurants can open their doors again. Now I can imagine it's not just going to be flip of a switch going back to normal. What do you expect in the upcoming weeks on transitioning back to, to regular life?
1: Well, the way we see it is listen, you know, we were, we were turning away more guests than we were serving on Friday and Saturday night. Those days I think are going to be a long way away, but I think those days will come back when the vaccine is in play. So for that, we're going to separate our tables. Uh, we've created a whole new headwear for our staff, front and back of the house. Everybody will have a shield uh, with the Brooklyn Chop House hat. They will have a shield that will go right down to the breastbone. Um, so we're making adjustments to make our guests feel more comfortable and to also protect our staff. Because remember, when a kitchen line is working, our kitchen line is working elbow to elbow. So you know what we have to we have to balance that. We've got to make our customers. Uh, and our guests feel comfortable, but we also have to be responsible to our staff. So we're, we're, we've changed the attire, we've changed the layout of the dining room, and I do think that, you know what, this isn't 1918, this is 2020, and what I'm hearing with Oxford Research, I do believe the vaccine is on its way. But until then, we have to make adjustments, and we'll gradually get back into hopefully our old business, which we had uh, pre-March. Uh,
0: Stratus also said that he was disturbed that larger chain companies that took government assistance during coronavirus have not been feeding first responders and healthcare workers in the volume that they should.
1: And for the amount of volume that we're doing right now, if you put that in scale with the big companies, they should be feeding thousands and thousands of meals a week, thousands, tens of thousands. And they do absolutely zero. And shame on them for that. But I think at the end of the day, the consumer is going to have the last vote on who gave back when, when, when we were really in need.
0: I can imagine plenty of your clientele before all this was had an affiliation with the hospitals you're helping now. And it, it's almost personal in a way.
1: It's very, it's very personal. And, and I'll tell you how this all started. I had a non-related procedure like two weeks before something, you know, I have asthma. And I was in there like the week before corona, the week the week corona was starting, I really didn't know much about it. And I was in the emergency room at New York Presbyterian and I, and I said, what's going on over there? And they said, oh, they're like 15 corona patients. I said, what does that mean? They said, oh, it's that virus, you know, the virus. And I said, oh, that, oh, the thing I've been reading about. This was like five weeks ago, six weeks ago. It was like two weeks before the shutdown. I didn't know that this was going on. And I'm watching, I was there actually for 10 hours for mine because they were, they were so overwhelmed. My small little thing, which was nothing, um, I was there for 10 hours, and I watched what was going on, and that was the first you know, thought that popped in my head when we got shut down, and I'm thinking about these frontline people that all have families, and they're all putting their – I'm not even saying it lightly, they're not just putting their health, they're putting their life on the line to keep us safe. And that, to me, was like, you know what, this is a no-brainer. Let's just, you know what, we can't get, it can't get any worse. We've lost everything. The little bit that we have left, let's just give it back. And you know what, thank God our pickup and delivery business has actually grown a lot. And that's how, between that and the partners, the vendor partners that we do business with have all called me and said, hey, how can we help? And they just started sending me thousands of pounds of produce, packaging, meats, uh, wine, coffee, and that allowed us to go cuz we were only doing one hospital that's all I could really afford and now we're up some weeks we do 15 some weeks we do 12 hospitals we do on average about two three hospitals a night and it's a package for 20 to 30 dinners wow and, and we love it we love it and, and we love, and, and i'm so you know happy that all and we didn't ask for it and companies like J Kings and Vosswater and King Solomon they just read about it in the newspaper when it ran a few weeks ago, and they're like, hey, how, what can we do to help? I said, you know, I'd, I'd, love to ha- I'd love to bring this to 25 hospitals. I'm getting calls as far as Suffolk County. Wow. I can't deliver to them, but I tell them, hey, if you want to pick up, pick up as at 6 o'clock, and I'll have the whole package ready for you, and I'll bring it to your car. And I can do that because I have really great vendor partners. And that's what the leaders of our industry should be doing, and they're doing nothing. And that's what really upsets me.
0: So in a way right now, you're giving a call to action to shape up and, and follow this precedent.
1: I, I mean, you know, I'm just, a, I'm just a little mom and pop shop. And I think with, 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 with our team, I mean, I'm very proud of them. I'm proud of everybody. You know, every night, even my guys that are actually, you know, on the line right now, when they go from work, some of them take an hour by train to get to work. Those are heroes too, <laughs> because without them, I wouldn't be able to send the food to the to the healthcare, uh, the medical uh, healthcare frontliners. I wouldn't be able to do it without them. It's, it's quite a chain. Of, I know it's, it's a village. You know, it takes a village. It definitely doesn't take one or two people. But when you see companies that are multi-billion-dollar conglomerates with 500 restaurants and they close the restaurants and they lay off their staff and they don't do anything, shame on them. Shame on them.
0: Well, I guess to, to end on a more high note, in what you're doing and what other businesses are doing, what's been the most rewarding part of it?
1: Uh, just the reaction, you know, the reaction that we actually are doing something. And people don't realize that food matters. You know, food really matters. It uplifts their spirits. You know, the difference of them having basically a gourmet meal than going to the local cafeteria or having a sandwich on the corner with their elbow on the counter is a huge difference. And they start taking pictures I think it was Bellevue that did a 10-foot, no, tw- sorry, 20-foot thank you. Uh, it was like literally 20 to 15 uh, uh, staffers, medical staff, holding up every letter of thank you, you know, to Brooklyn Chop House. And they put that on Instagram. You now, good, that makes me feel. There's no, there's no value to There's no price tag you can put on that. And, and you know what? And that, and that actually gives us enough energy. Let's see if we can go bigger. I spoke to Cuomo's people about Javits Center. If Javits really was in need, we were ready to step up and go to Javits Center. Central Park called me. and They said, hey, you know, we don't have room for hot food. Can you send us some cheesecakes? I sent them 10 cheesecakes. Whatever it is, I, I have not said no to anyone. <laughs> the only thing i told them is that you got to come pick it up because I, I just can't have my staff stretch that thin. So 6 o'clock, there's always two or three um, cars. And they're picking up the food, and they're bringing it to two or three hospitals every night, sometimes four.
0: And if someone that you haven't contacted yet wants to get in touch with you to work with you on this, what's the best way to reach out?
1: Well, they've been going, this is how everyone has been doing it. They've been going to brooklynchophouse.com and clicking on the info button, because that all comes to me. I, I, pretty, I pretty much oversee everything. And then um, the other way is going to our Instagram account. That's where a lot of them have been coming from. They go to Instagram because we've been posting a lot of the pictures that that the healthcare workers have been posting. We've been reposting it. So they've been DMing us, say, hey, my daughter works at Elmhurst. Can you do something? Absolutely. All we ask for is a hospital ID, and there's no questions asked. I tell them Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, pick up at 6 o'clock. Just bring your hospital ID because, you know, Unfortunately, we have some of the other element that, that peeks their head out in times like this. So all we ask for is the hospital ID to match the person who's picking it up. And we'll have dinner, soup to nuts, <laughs> for 20 to 30 people that you can pick up, donated by Brooklyn Shop House.
0: Well, that's awesome. And it's certainly great feel-good news that I think we could all use right now. Stratus, one more thing. When we finally get to, to kind of go back to the way that things were and the doors are reopened, whether or not there's protective face masks on staff. Oh, when I come into Brooklyn Chop House, what do you recommend I
2: try? The LSD. Yeah? <laughs>
1: we call it LSD. It's lobster, steak, and duck. It's salt and pepper, lobster, Peking duck, and a porterhouse steak. No place on earth. That's what we keep saying. No place on earth where you, where you, where you can get those three items on one table. Oh man! Yeah, if you start that. off with a pastrami dumpling and a French onion soup dumpling, it's game over. <laughs> Jeez.
0: Okay, I think we need to make that happen then.
1: <laughs> it might be my pleasure. Awesome. I can't. I can't wait for that day.
0: Absolutely, Stratus. Thank you for coming on, and I can't wait to try that LSD lobster <laughs> steak and duck. If anyone's tuning in, late, well, we're
1: going to take you out. on a trip. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Well, I wish you the best of luck, and thank you so keep much. doing what Thanks you're doing, and I hope that people listening help you out here.
1: Yeah, listen, uh, I, I hope, like I said, it's all about the mom and pops. That's, all, that's what it's about, and thank you for
0: having me. Of course, absolutely, and like I said, I can't wait to come in and try everything you guys have, so. Thank you. All right, and now it is... NFL Draft Time, we're going now to AM New York Metro Sports Editor Joe Pantorno to talk about the moves that the New York Jets and Giants made in the first round last night. In the back of my head, I just hear Sandra Bullock in a Southern voice talking about how important the offensive tackle is. The New York Giants pick one, the New York Jets pick one. Joe, I want to hear your thoughts on this first round so far.
2: Well, uh, it's been pretty interesting, and I hate using that cliche because whenever, you know, we label these things, we try and just use the word interesting to be uh, conservative, I suppose. Uh, But really, for the most part, uh, the first 10-11 picks have gone as close to chalk as a lot of NFL draft analysts and mockers could have seen. Really, going into this draft, we expected to see – an abundance of offensive linemen taken within either the top 10 or the top 15. It was just the way the class of 2020 worked out. You had four really good offensive linemen set to come out. Georgia's Andrew Thomas, Iowa's Tristan Wirfs, Alabama's Jedrick Wills, and Louisville's Mackay Beckman. So really, you know, we usually don't see this much activity in terms of offensive linemen this early, but... When you have such talent and in really half of those four offensive linemen, NFL-ready talent, uh, it's understandable. But, uh, you know, for the lack of trades, I, you know, I think we just had one as, we, as we're speaking now. Um, that's been a little surprising, I would say. But uh, it's nice to see the, uh, the unsung heroes getting their time to shine on draft night.
0: As someone who was a center in high school – Nothing thrills me more than to see the offensive line finally be something cool. But going past just the fact that they're enhancing the line, what does this show as a commitment for the Giants to Daniel Jones and the Jets for Sam Darnold as quarterback, getting them more protection? I think it goes just above beyond playmaking and to the point where they want to make these guys part of the franchise for the long run.
2: Well, it obviously says everything you need to know about their commitment to both franchises' young quarterbacks just because both the Giants and Jets had other avenues to take at their respective picks. Going into the draft, we were debating whether or not the Giants would either go offensive line, which you they obviously needed to improve on to protect Daniel Jones, who has been uh, turnover-prone uh, in his rookie year. We all saw that. Uh, and also... It's going to preserve Saquon Barkley for as long as possible because the shelf lives of running backs are short. We all know that. And somebody of his explosive capabilities carries the threat of him flaming out earlier than anticipated. So it's important to keep the foundation of the team, I guess, on their feet and as healthy and in as great a position to succeed as possible. So, you know, it really, that was what we were thinking heading into the draft that they were going to go O line. But there was also the possibility of the Giants going and taking Clemson's Isaiah Simmons, who, you know, who I watched all last year. And, you know, he, this guy had NFL scouts salivating. He is the jack of all trades linebacker who can also play safety and even if you're shorthanded he can go in and play cornerback he could do it all and that was giving Giants fans the illusion of grandeur. where you know they were maybe thinking hey we can come away with a guy that might remind us of Lawrence Taylor not saying he could ever hit those high expectations but the skill set alone kind of created that hope that maybe for a franchise predicated on defense As much as the Giants have been for a majority of their existence, Isaiah Simmons could be the next great thing for that team that, for the most part, really doesn't have a bona fide face to it. And and that really happened when Landon Collins was given the opportunity to walk in free agency. But for the Jets, I think this is a little bit more of a controversial pick. And I'm not saying it's the wrong pick because... Really, they couldn't have gone wrong given the way things played out for them. Um, I really thought that they should have gone for a wide receiver. Robbie Anderson's gone. He signed with the Carolina Panthers, and now you're left with Quincy Inunua, who has been injury-prone for the last two years. He's had neck problems, which is extremely dangerous to deal with, uh, especially for a football player. Uh, And Jamison Crowder, who really had a nice first season with the Jets, but he's a slot receiver. You need that true, explosive, outside threat. And at number 11, the Jets had those options. They had any of... Again, there was another core four wide receivers that they could have taken, whether it was Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, um, Justin Jefferson out of LSU, or C.D. Lamb at Oklahoma. So, given the fact that they passed on this opportunity to get Darnold that high-flying playmaker to simplify things and just kind of recenter themselves go back to square one okay yes we know that Sam Darnold needs a legitimate outside threat but what's more important right now is making sure that our running back stays on his feet what's important uh I said running back excuse me quarterback making sure that our quarterback stays on his feet and stays healthy, and we put him in the best position to succeed. It's also imperative that we give our all-pro running back, who we give a big contract to, that Adam Gaze is not a fan of. We need to make sure that he is in the best position to succeed because he did not have a good first season, and he really wasn't given much of a chance to do so. So really, both of these picks are both teams admitting that, hey, we need to go back to basics here. We need to start from the nitty-gritty, the interior, and when we're talking about Dave Gettleman, something that he's been preaching about since he's come on as Giants GM, this is the chance to kind of retool things. There are pieces here, there are weapons here, but now it's time to fully support them and fully lay that foundation to build something solid, so...
0: So starting with what you said about the New York Jets, going with the O-line when clearly there were a lot of wide receivers on the market, still a lot of good ones out there for a second round. Of course, not exactly top tier, but what could be an asset. A question I have for you about that. Do you think that the Jets are working on some sort of trade right now where they realized, okay, let's acquire the linemen in the tra-